Coming up today on Intelligence for Your Life, what do Uber drivers think of us? Well, to put it nicely, we're not their favorite people. The news magazine The Week interviewed Uber drivers to get their take on the passengers they shuttle around, and they all had horror stories to share. And of course, we're going to share them with you. Also, why, according to a new survey, do one in five mothers say they regret their baby's name? And what are they doing about it? Baby name regret is now a thing. And also, whether it's a 5K or a full marathon, runners and event organizers say selfies are destroying road races. Why has the selfie become such a menace to organized racing? And we'll talk about why so many millennials, people between the ages of 18 and 34, have never learned to ride a bike. We'll tell you what kind of people a new study says we absolutely hate on Facebook. We'll tell you why longevity researchers say you need a pride shrine in your home and why so many people are breaking up because of their TV preferences. Those stories and more are coming right up. But first, today's Intelligence for Your Life podcast is brought to you by my friends at Dunkin' Donuts. So in the interest of full disclosure, I actually discovered Dunkin' Donuts coffee because of my bass player, Tim Landers. Now, Tim has been with me for 30 years as my music director, and this guy will only drink one cup of coffee. It's Dunkin'. And if we're booked in a hotel near one of our concert venues and it's not within walking distance to Dunkin' Donuts, he makes us stay somewhere else. I'm not kidding. I would always make fun of him because I used to be one of those, you know, hey, coffee is coffee guys. And then about two years ago, Tim shows up at Soundcheck with an extra Dunkin' Donuts coffee before a show. And sure enough, now I'm worse than him, evangelizing about how great it is. And I always take mine black, so I'm not messing with the flavor. But the other thing that always drove me nuts about the coffee thing was the ridiculous lines everywhere for all these high-end coffee shops. So now, Duncan reads my mind and comes up with this Dunkin' Donuts perks. What's the perk? Well, now I get on-the-go ordering so I can order ahead from my phone and speed past the line in the store. And with the Dunkin' app, you can even choose to pay from your phone. And now they've also sweetened the pot, so to speak, with exclusive special offers like free beverages when you enroll and on your birthday. So now I'm the Dunkin' Coffee guy and I bring Tim his coffee at Soundcheck. So here's my advice based on personal experience. Do yourself a favor. Give yourself an upgrade today by downloading this Dunkin' app and enrolling in DD Perks. Enter the code podcast and you'll enjoy a free Dunkin' beverage. Speeding past the line may not be possible at all locations. Visit ddperks.com for terms and conditions. Upgrade your day with me with Dunkin' Donuts Perks. So, Gib, uh, apparently Uber drivers have, par- have had it with us, or at least with some of us. I can t- I sense I a felt, good I amount of contempt yeah, from them. I felt this coming. Not all of them. I've had some. I actually had some really incredible conversations uh, in an Uber, but I, with, with the driver. You're, you're a nice guy. You're, you're, you're not what I'm about to tell you about right okay. here. So, to put it nicely, we are not their favorite people, according to uh, the news magazine The Week. Uh, very reputable uh, news magazine. They interviewed Uber drivers to get their take on the passengers they shuttle around, and they all had, I guess you'd call these horror stories. I'm sure cab drivers have similar stories. Anyway, one of the minor offenses was when passengers <laughs> hopped in the front passenger seat and then proceeded to fiddle with the radio and the air conditioning or the heat. Well, Uber- see, that's cab drivers don't have that because in a cab, you only go in the back seat. And yeah. this, by the way, is one of my pet peeves about the Uber thing and the all of the ride shares. I don't know which seat to get into and i feel judged yeah. for picking the wrong yeah. one <laughs> oh you're sitting in the back seat i guess i'm driving you around like your chauffeur today oh you're sitting in the front seat i guess we're buds i i don't know where you want me to sit make it clear and i'll sit wherever uber drivers say in this study that they prefer you not touch the dashboard or the car controls if you'd like the music change or the temperature adjusted just ask okay that's an easy one now but a, a worse offense according to the uber drivers who were polled 
passengers who take their shoes off and put their bare feet oh. on the dashboard or the back of the front seats. Oh, no. That's so apparently this happens like at least 50% of the time, say the Uber drivers. 50%? Half the people take their shoes I, off? I, I, so they may be exaggerating. Let's give them 25%. It's still gross. I'm bringing butcher paper with me into every Uber I go into from now on and just lining all the services and saying, it's not you, it's the previous passenger. Yeah, again, this is these are the things that Uber drivers from the, from the, uh, the Week magazine uh, say that they don't like about us. Now, the drivers also complained of passengers bringing smelly food into the car, spilling drinks, oh, yeah. leaving all kinds of trash behind. Ready for this? Dirty diapers. Oh, come on. Yep. Dirty right, so look, I, I, it's hard when you're traveling to find out where... To, sometimes you have to change a diaper. You just have to. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're, making, you're making this okay? No, no. I don't know why they're changing diapers in the car. <laughs> no, I mean, they don't. Well, maybe they just had it, and they said, okay, yes. I'm going to leave it here so because one, this is a trash bin. Totally inappropriate. <laughs> what, one, of the big, one of the big things when you're out and about is, and I have a special set of bags in my, in my diaper bag, uh, so that when, when an accident does happen, if there's no trash can, I have a way of transporting said dirty diaper to a trash can because it's definitely never okay to just leave a diaper inside of somebody's car. Also, it's not, I wouldn't take my shoes off and put my feet on my friend's dashboard, let alone, let alone a hired car. <laughs> yeah. If uh, I, I don't even do that in my own car. My car's disgusting. Okay, so I love, because I grew up being a journalist, I love interviewing the Uber drivers. Now, you're the same way. You know, I love just asking them all kinds of things. Uh, but the biggest peeve, of course, is one with passengers. So one of the things about Uber driver driving, of course, the whole system is that it's, you know, and mothers against drunk driving love this too, is that, you know, it's causing less fatalities because people yeah. have, a, have, have a drive home. You know, and and home. not only that, you have a dedicated driver. That guy is being hired to drive right, you right. home. Yeah. When I'm driving home in my own car or when 90% of the people on the road right now are driving home in their own car, they're distracted by their phone. Right. They, are, they are multitasking. They're thinking about a whole bunch of things. They are not the person driving. Their mindset is not, I'm the person driving. Their mindset is, I'm in my car and I'm driving home. The Uber driver is in the mindset of I am driving and he's not you you won't I wouldn't let him look at his phone. Okay, but I just walked in here and I'm hearing what you're saying and I want to know something. If you had a driver, an Uber driver, you got a uh-huh. car and they were texting, would you make him stop? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Has it ever happened? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it has to me for sure. I I've, I've made them I I've, I've said yeah, I don't want you to look at your phone. No, oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, I it's never happened to me. Um, it's uh, they always have their navigation and the little heads up slot on their in their car and and um, yeah they're I'm paying for their time at that point. But they're also strangers. You have no idea what they have I done before they got pound, in the car with you. I'm a 200 pound man. If they think they can take me, they go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean their driving ability and what they have oh, consumed yeah. before they got in the car. Okay, so if they're visibly. Dr- you don't know you that. Don't about, know. How do you but know you don't know that about ninety percent of the drivers that are out there on the road while you're driving. It's the, it, it's not even your car that's the concern. It's the car. It's ninety percent of the other okay. cars, okay. and you okay. have an attentive okay. driver can I, here. Can I, can I just get us back on the road here to use that metaphor? So so listen, where I was going here is <laughs> don't go away mad. <laughs> that's just, it. We disagree with her. She's done with the she's podcast. Done. So um, where I was going here was that that uh, the, the, one of their biggest pet peeves, these Uber drivers, is when passengers get so drunk, they get sick in the vehicle. Oh, yeah. And they also, this was right there, right behind that, they don't like extreme makeout sessions in the back seat. 
Um, I think that depends on the driver. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, sure there's, Uber, Uber. I'm sure there's some people oh, out there who are fine with it. Uber drivers would like us to know if you do get sick in their car, you're going to be charged a, um, a cleaning fee. As well you should be. Yeah. As well you should be. Yeah. And by the way, you should be charged a cleaning fee if you throw up in a cab as well. So this brings us to, uh, uh, that's, that's it for the Uber drivers. This brings us to something that we've talked about on the radio before. And that is, you know, uh, everybody now, every company, I started with Tesla, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now there's, they're making so many of these electric cars that we're left with something. There's a new term out there that's going to be in, uh, in Webster's next year. It's called range anxiety. Oh, yeah. And why don't, why don't you d- d- describe this for the people who haven't heard this? So r- range anxiety is the thing where, well, electric cars as opposed to gas cars, you can't just pull over uh, every, every one mile and, fi- and refill all of the energy in your car like we can at a gas station. With an electric car, you've got to get to a specific charging station, and they are far more infrequent than... Um, than actual gas stations. So because of that, if you're out and, you're, and you've been driving away from your home and you've got less than half a battery, that means that you don't have enough battery to get back to your home. Right, right, and that right, gives right. some anxiety. You don't have enough power to get to wherever you need to go. And you can't just pull over and recharge your battery in three minutes, and that's yeah. a big that's a big downside to electric cars right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I would absolutely have uh, have range anxiety. But it would th- be all I would think about. I if I got under eighty percent, I would start to have I would start to have the sweats because I it's the same thing with my cell phone. If I'm out and about, especially especially not in my own hometown, so I don't have like my car charger, and my phone gets below eighty percent. I start to do the math in my head and think, okay, so what happens if I'm out and I can't call an Uber? What happens if I'm out and I and I get lost? And I, right, I'm right, so reliant right, on this technology right. that I have I have cell phone range anxiety. One of the pieces that uh, that we did and we have, we've had it on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash John Tesh, a couple of times, and we always get a big reaction to it. Is the fact that uh, the the selfie thing has is now apparently ruining uh, organized racing. Uh, so foot racing, whether it's a 5K or a full marathon, some runners and event organizers say selfies are absolutely ruining the the experience. You've run two, uh, two New York marathons. We've actually won, uh, run one together. Yep. Uh, I've been in many of these races where there's 25,000 people, and you and you just feel like if you took one little misstep, that you would be trampled and, and literally just kill. I mean, it's 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 like being at a rock concert where everybody, you know, panics. Well, y- so yeah. anyway, so let me let me just say that 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 um, according to Running USA. Runners are stopping dead in their tracks to snap a selfie. And it, it, while it sounds harmless, when you're in a pack of other racers, a selfie taker becomes a very dangerous obstacle. We had so many people blow up on this and, and, uh, and have comments on our Facebook page. Look, people are, that's how people take selfies. They just stop wherever they are and they take a picture of themselves, no matter how appropriate it may be and, uh, or inappropriate it may be. And, and people are doing this during a foot race. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, too. I, I would be furious if somebody did that in front of me while I was running a marathon. Because at a, at a certain point, at a certain length of race, if you have to break your stride for anything, it completely kills your will to move on. I mean, you will, it'll completely kill your time. If you're running a 10K for time, if you're running more than a half marathon and somebody stops in front of you and you have to like even shuffle step, that change in mental energy would ruin my race. Yeah. Ruin yeah, it. Yeah. I would not be able to handle that. Yeah. I, I had uh, one, in my second New York City marathon. I was running at a pace where I, I couldn't go. I, I felt like I couldn't go any faster or any slower, and I was stuck in front of some guy. I'm, I'm dying, right? I'm out there, you know, at the 18 mile mark in New York City, and and there's a guy with a complete Indian headdress on, uh, Native American headdress, and like uh, a jacket, and um, had all kinds of paraphernalia on. It had to be weighing 30 pounds. Oh yeah. 
and I'm struggling. And I'm, t- I'm right behind this guy going, oh, my gosh. There's nothing like if- getting passed by the guy in the Barney the Dinosaur suit <laughs> or or the, the firefighters running for the yeah, Firefighters yeah, Foundation yeah, yeah. in their full, um, right. know, their full gear, happens, yeah. in their rubber boots. Yeah. It's, uh, the, it's Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Marathon, we'll put this one to rest. Uh, after a runner stopped to snap a selfie, uh, says it caused a. They've banned uh, uh, selfies. You cannot take a selfie in the Hong Kong Marathon. It, ca- it caused a domino-like pileup that was so bad that runners broke their arms. They almost had to cancel that part of the of the marathon. It was so bad with all the selfies. Yeah, I mean, first of all, that's just traffic in Hong Kong in general. You can't have any kind of interruption <laughs> like that. And and clearly, it, it, get get off the course to take your picture. I understand yeah, you want yeah, to document yeah, it. Yeah. Get off the course to take your picture. You know, yeah, move yeah, to the side yeah. of the of the area. That's yeah, absolutely inappropriate. So when we when we posted this piece uh, on our our Facebook page, we got so many comments from uh, from moms who have said that they have they have had this. And since you are the you know you are the father of three kids under the age of five, I thought Uh-oh. it would definitely resonate with you. And and with and maybe you've had this with some of your. Uh, your uh, Gen X friends, millennial friends, according to a new survey, one out of five mothers now, this, this is a big number, one out of five mothers, what, what's that, 20%? Yes. Okay, they say they regret their baby's name. So baby name regret has now become a real thing. According to psychologist and family counselor, Dr. Carla Umpierre, people are more likely to have second thoughts if they name their child something really out there uh, or something trendy that becomes too common, like if there are five other Sophias in your mommy and me class. I've seen this. Oh, yeah. I've you, seen this. You know what's a big one that I know a lot of people have right now is Finn. There's a lot of Finns in my <laughs> life. Why? Under the age of five. A lot of my friends have, have sons is named there, Finn. Is there a famous person named Finn? I mean, Huckleberry Finn. Oh, I actually okay. have a, I have oh. a friend with a kid oh, named Huckleberry okay. or Huck. Uh, so anyway, that Finn is a very common one, and I could if I had I could see the appeal, and then and then also regretting like I, I chose this name, and now there are nine kids in the kindergarten class named Finn. It's a definite hipster name. I mean, it's, there's definitely a certain type of person that names yeah. their kid Finn. Yeah. But I know a lot of Finns. And back when back when uh, your daughter was born, it was Madison. Everybody was yeah, named their it was kid Madison. Madison. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, there's too many Madisons. Yeah. My dad took one look at me, and I'm sure he wanted to name me Dingleberry. And that's- <laughs> but he named you Junior. <laughs> I named you John Junior. You got Jr. a Junior. I got a Junior. Yeah. So I mean, that, that works yeah. out. So I, doc- I, I actually recommend, I think that's the good way to go. I don't think you'll ever regret naming somebody a family name. I yep, have, I I have agree. Uh, I agree. two kids with a family. Well, all three kids have a family name, whether they're first or the middle name. And uh, uh, I think I yeah I, I got in I got in on your third kid's yeah, name. You Thank did. you very much You're for welcome. doing that. So if you want to change your baby's name, Doctor Umpierre says it is better to do it before they understand verbal language. Hello, yeah. <laughs> obvious because by the end of the first year, children recognize their name as an important sound. I I remember getting this recommendation from <laughs> the lady the lady at our birthing class. She goes, "Look, have the names picked out." If you don't know what the gender is, have been, have at least one like really solid name picked out that you've lived with for a while before your birthing day. Because anything you do uh, after you leave the hospital is ten times harder when it comes to naming your kid. Yeah. It's corporate. It, it's a whole pain. It, it don't. I would say <laughs> put those names to the test for a little while. Google the name. Spend some time with the names that you like. Don't do a shoot from the hip thing and uh, you know name your kid. Oh, that's my son Lamp. Like, oh, <laughs> or Finn. Intelligence for your life. Hey, let's uh, let's switch over to one of our favorite dating pieces for the for the week. Again, this was a big piece on on well, Facebook. Before you have you, before you can do parenting, you've got to do dating. <laughs> well, we got them out of order. There's a strange a strange reason people are breaking up, and I, and I actually don't think it's it's that strange uh, based on how 
uh, how committed people are to their shows. It's, oh. it's incompatible TV preferences. Oh. So there was a study conducted by the market research company Propeller Insights. 30% of millennials, for example, say having incompatible TV preferences would prevent them from moving for, forward with a relationship because how can you spend a night binge-watching together if you hate each other's favorite shows? Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And the sad thing is that my, my wife has this whole swath of shows that I can't stand. She loves watching the, the like... Home improvement shows, yeah, loves them, and I ju- it's like it's literally watching paint dry. I mean, yeah. you literally yeah. watch people watch paint dry, <laughs> and I I can't handle it. And I get it, I understand the appeal. It's just not something that I'm into, or that like about like these tiny houses. Like, don't you want a tiny house? Think of all the money we would save. And I think with all the money I would save, I would buy a normal size house. I wouldn't. Want, I'd have to live like that for how long before I could buy a normal house? Uh, it's it, and then, and then, and and what are the shows that you watch that she doesn't like? Oh, I mean, I every every dark crime show that I'm super into, you know, where people are dying and the investigators have issues, and and she there's she actually stomachs my shows. I am the big baby and won't sit and watch her shows with her. So uh, yeah, so I'm definitely the. <laughs> if yeah, we were in counseling yeah, right now, I would yeah. be the problem in the relationship. I, I made a big mistake uh, because when when uh, and I, I make her I make Connie my wife crazy by by calling Downton Abbey Downtown Abbey, and she goes, "No, it's Downton Abbey." You do it just to poker, and she and she uh, loved that show. And then of course it went on the air, it went off the air, and they really didn't have anything there. They should have had something. They had a, should have had a spinoff, you know, for all these people like uh, Uptown like, Abbey. Yeah, like the Jeffersons or, yeah. <laughs> or something like that, you know. But they didn't. They didn't do. There's no place well, why, to go. Why couldn't they take some of the housing staff? They got to get new jobs. I know. Somebody That's what like I'm saying. one they, of the footmen yeah. goes and works for a new a new lord yeah, somewhere else yeah, in England. It's my friends at PBS. You guys got to be thinking yeah. forward, you know. So anyway, uh, what um, what I did was I said I, I said, oh my gosh, you know what? I bet you she would like Crown. You know that Netflix original uh-huh. thing about about Queen Elizabeth and Prince. Didn't we win Philip? a war so we don't have to watch shows about this? Right, right. Didn't right, we win the right, Revolutionary right. War so, so we don't have to care about the royals? So anyway, I have created a terrible situation. I'm sure there are people at home or in your car who can who can relate to this because, um, I now what happens is you know we'll go to sleep right we'll go to sleep like at nine o'clock nine thirty and then all of a sudden at midnight. All of a sudden, I hear, "All right, you know, it's, it's, it's Winston Churchill is in my house, you know." And I'm like, "What are you doing?" She said, "I can't sleep. I have to finish this episode, you know." And I, and it's really not my, you know, not my thing. So I have you saw me yesterday. This happened yes. yesterday. I built an entire headphone system, wireless headphone phone system. And last night at three thirty this morning, at three thirty in the morning, it ran out of batteries. <laughs> so I have literally just built myself so far into a uh, uh, a crown corner. But yeah, it's it's an arms race to get you to right, get some right. sleep. And I tried to get her to watch Twenty Four, which is yeah. I, I watched that series so many times. Uh, and I tried to get her to watch, uh, you know, Gladiator or or you know even Jason the Argonauts. You, know, any you of that need stuff. like a compromise show. What you need is a show that has yeah. bo- like Game of Thrones is actually a good compromise show. Oh gosh, are you kidding? Here's why: it's got the action and the fighting for you, and it's got the royal families and houses battling for her. If she uh, could just stomach uh, the gratuitous nudity and violence, <laughs> then <laughs> then you'd have your show. And by the way, I, I'm sure there's guys out there that can relate to this. There, there's that thing that happens when you're watching Game of Thrones, right? Where I swear, her, and I know your wife, same thing with you. There's that timing thing, right? And especially the first season where they were oh, yeah. completely out of control, where, you know, Jamie and his sister, you know, and, and I'd be down there and I'm watching this great show. It's so put together. <laughs> the music is fantastic and everything. And she comes down right during, you know, a scene that she shouldn't have come down. And she goes, yeah. What are you watching? Oh, or like something amazing will happen. I go, Oh, come in here. You got to see this. Oh, you yeah, see no, this. You don't and then the next scene, yeah, everybody's yeah, naked. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, What? No, I didn't, I didn't mean. 
And it's only <laughs> and it's only for eight seconds, and then she leaves. I'm like, wait, come back. And she's no, she's yeah. she's she's never she's never coming back. I feel like that's yeah. I, I'm glad they got rid of all of that element of the show. Well, they didn't get revolved, but they got rid of most of the gratuitous elements of that show in, in the later seasons, which has made it a lot a lot better to watch. Yeah. So if you have uh, if you have incompatibility in your in your dating life, uh, watching these TV shows, uh, be careful. You might want to just lie and say you like something. Otherwise, you might you might break up. That's my bottom lining this. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of. Uh, all these uh, these uh, pieces that have been posted on Facebook. And that's really that's really ha- how we grade these pieces before Gib and I have conversations. If you if they you know mm-hmm. blow up from you guys going on our Facebook page, uh, and and oddly enough, uh, uh, ironically, uh, a piece on Facebook blew up that was a piece about Facebook. It turns out eighty five and Gib. I know you have. See, I you know we we use Facebook sort of as as a business, so we're always you know we're sharing on the radio show, we're sh- sharing all the videos that we do on our TV show and all the rest of that stuff. But I know you have a personal, very personal page, right? Uh-huh. So and it's friends from and friends kids, and, yeah, yeah stuff like that. So uh, you, you, I'm sure you're going to have a comment on this because we now know that 85 percent of people say they feel annoyed by their friends on Facebook, uh, and one of the biggest annoyances is picking or perpetuating fights. But oh. most importantly is the passive aggressive stuff. So oh. vague passive aggressive messages like loud talkers get on my nerves. Oh. Uh, I wish somebody would learn to whisper. Uh, Anthony Rotolo is a professor of digital culture at Syracuse University. He says posts like this are clearly about somebody specific. <laughs> Always about somebody specific. Nobody has a problem with loud chewers when nobody is chewing loudly around them. Like nobody's just walking around like on their daily hike, going, "You know what I hate? Loud chewers." <laughs> it's that Jerry Seinfeld on the stage doing observational. Co- it, it, you're obviously you're experiencing a loud chewer, and it's directed at somebody. And a lot of times, my favorite thing is when people forget that they're friends with the person that they're yeah, clearly yeah. talking about, and that yeah. person chimes yeah. in. That's great. I have a lot of friends though. Who are who do that sort of blatant, that sort of blind, passive aggressive? Something is bothering me. Thing, and then and then when you f- ask a follow up question, they go, "I don't want to talk about it." Yeah, it's it's yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And why yeah. did you post about it to every single <laughs> yeah. one of your friends? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I also have another friend, actually, this girl's this girl's husband, who posts these political articles in the, in a way that I, I, has anybody ever been going through their Facebook feed and found somebody that disagrees with them and then thought. Oh, you know what? I am wrong. I agree with this person yeah, now. Yeah, it's not yeah, helping. Yeah. It's not helping you win anybody over. It's just it's just, it's either making people that already agree with you go yeah, or making people that disagree with you not want to be your friend anymore. Instead of finding a common ground, I do. I I, I have one other friend though who actually does a good job of it, and he always po- posts conversation pieces, mm-hmm. and he has actually good discussion in his comments. But uh, this this whole thing, this whole way that we live our lives online, is going to start to implode on us pretty soon. Online at intelligenceforyourlife.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk about why so many millennials, people between the ages of 18 and 34, of course, have never learned to ride a bike. What's up with that? We'll also talk about why longevity researchers say you and I need a pride shrine in our home, and it will take our happiness level and just jam it through the roof. But first, ever wish that healthy foods could also be indulgent and craveable? Well, thankfully, there's an innovative company called Hungry Root. It's making that dream into a reality, and you know we love this. So founded by top Chef Masters alumnus, Chef Franklin Becker, Hungry Root is a brand of healthy comfort foods that are sold online at HungryRoot.com and shipped right to your door. Did you miss the part where I said healthy comfort foods? Healthy comfort foods? We're always talking on the show, right, about how the wrong comfort food is going to torpedo your diet. Well, check this out. 
Hungry Root takes foods that people typically associate with indulgence or unhealthiness and recreates them using vegetables and other wholesome ingredients. They have a growing line of over 30 products ranging from my favorite, sweet potato mac and cheese, to carrot noodle pad thai, to almond chickpea cookie dough, which is eggless by the way, so you can safely eat it raw. Everything is packed with nutrients, so fiber, healthy fats, and they're all under 500 calories. Plus, all of the dishes are gluten-free, preservative-free, and ready to eat in under seven minutes. The starter set is a great deal at just $60. And for my listeners, you can get 50% off your first bundle by going to HungryRoot.com slash intelligence. That's HungryRoot.com slash intelligence. You can subscribe to a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly bundle of these feel-good foods today. Just remember this battle cry. Healthy comfort foods. Go to HungryRoot.com slash intelligence. Uh, now, listen, we, we're all about, uh, in the Intelligence Fair Life program, we're all about statistics, and we're, we're plugged into so many different you know, universities and these newsletters. And, and so I have another stat I want to share with you, Gib, and I want to get your opinion on it. Uh, because I, I, when I saw this, uh, I, I was like, is this actually possible? And it's backed, it's backed by some really good research. Apparently, more than one in nine people between the ages of 18 to 34. So now millennials are listed as 18 to 34, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're, you're really a Gen Xer on the other side of that, just a little bit on the other side. But more than one in nine people between the ages of 18 to 34, they've never learned to ride a bike. That's incredible. Researchers say millennials are the generation raised by us, me, helicopter parents, who preferred hovering and driving kids everywhere rather than let them bike alone. We always thought they'd be kidnapped. Uh, and a lot of millennials stayed indoors after school playing video games and watching hundreds of cable TV channels, says the, uh, the report, instead of biking yep. around the neighborhood with their friends. <laughs> That's why there's now a whole new cottage industry popping up offering adult bike lessons. Adult bike lessons, adult swim lessons. I've, see, I, I've seen it all over the place. Look, I, I don't know how you get through your childhood without learning how to ride a bike, but obviously people do. I mean, I, it, it, if you think about it, there's, there's all sorts of socioeconomic implications, too. Maybe your family couldn't afford a bike. But I just, there was a time, like you said, well, I shouldn't say this because um, I'm going to out myself here, but but my mom would never have let me um, ride my bike around the neighborhood. She's always, first of all, she always lived in the hills. And secondly, she was one of those parents that you described. Yeah. uh, Always ever. But my dad um, and my parents were divorced. uh, He was all about it. I mean, he would be out of the house playing golf or something. And I would ride my bike around the neighborhood for four hours with no supervision, just like a 1950s kid. And I mean, that, that was, that was, that was really, I would, I would ride to Taco Bell and go get Taco Bell and drive and ride my bike home. That was something I did all the time. And, uh, I would have, I would have missed that if I hadn't been able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel bad for these people that don't that never learn how to ride a bike. So for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, Gib is my uh, my stepson, and now uh, I don't even think of being a parent to you. You're just like my best friend and and, uh, and work partner. But uh, there was a time when I met Gib when he was nine, right? And so there was a time when he was growing up where I didn't want to do any. Of, and Connie's a powerful woman. If you've ever met her, Connie Selick, Gib's mom. But uh, so that was also great. your wife. Yeah, right? That's what I say. But that, that's but that's a it, it that was great for me because she handled most of the um, the, the discipline. Right, and and we would have the family family meetings, and I would sit there and I'd nod a lot. You know, I was you really- were a rubber stamp court. Just, whatever she said, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I was also, I was also like uh, um, Peter Boyle in Everybody Loves Raymond. Right, I would just you know we we but before we sat down for the family meeting, I'd have a cocktail and I would just sort of sit there and made sure you had some food. 
And right, right, otherwise, you get start to get whiny about five minutes in. Like, are we, we going to stop this to get some dinner, or what's the deal? So when Gib is uh, when Gib is a is a teenager, right? So we're we're at, we're actually at a, at a beach. I'm nervous about where this is going to yeah, go. You know now. where it's going. We're we're at a, we're at a beach house, right? Oh. <laughs> and and he's with his friends. And they've graduated, and and uh, and 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 so they. They had they had 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 some pizza and I had a couple of beers, right? We stayed up all night one right, night. Right, it was right, yeah, right. yeah. So so mom comes down uh and 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 discovers this and says what? Well, so she goes, What are you doing? And I said, I'm making pizza. It was like three o'clock in the morning. We were we were making pizza <laughs> in the kitchen of a of a it was a beach house, but it was a you know, small cottage by the beach. And so obviously she heard me making pizza in the middle of the night. I don't know what I thought I was gonna get away with. So we're making the pizzas, and then and so then the next day, uh, you and I go for a walk, and you you have well wait, we have to stop because Connie said to me you have to talk to Gib about the fact that they had beer there uh-huh. and that they were up. Have all you night. been drinking? I, well, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm having pizza. Okay, so she says to me, she says, "Do John, do get 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 involved," is what she said because that, that's her sort of go to thing for me. Um, get involved here. Yeah, I want you to take Gib and talk to Gib. So then go ahead. Yeah, so you take me out. I remember. I, I even at the time it didn't resonate as very authentic <laughs> you take me on the beach and, and you had it was all just totally talking around I was like well we have a lot of fun here but it's important <laughs> not to take advantage of the fun uh and i i get it you know i get it was like it, i i could tell you had there was no part of you thought i think you've gone too far here you know no i, I and and i look back on it and i think if i had been in your situation i don't know what i would have said except like Tell your mom that I was very angry and and don't do this again. That's that may be how I would have handled it if I. That's more or less how it came across. Oh, that was awesome. And uh, I, and by the way, in no way do I condone that kind of behavior in anybody. Yes, but it was yes, it yes, was something yes, that I did yes, and I own it. Yes, yes. And this all started with people who don't know how to ride bikes. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I learned how to ride a bike, and then ten years later, I had to have a weird talk on the beach. <laughs> Here we go with an idea to increase your daily happiness. We have all this this great happiness stuff on the on the show. We posted this on our Facebook page, and it comes from a guy. I've read this book literally. Gib and I are like in a in a book club. We just read like five books at the same time all the time on our yeah. Kindles. But there's a there's a gentleman, and I'm such a big fan of his. And you should read this book. It's called The Blue Zones. Okay? Oh, you love it. And his name is Dan Butner. Now, basically, what what Dan did with P- and he worked with PBS is they is they they found these pockets of places one of them is um, sardinia another one's actually loma linda california uh, okinawa uh w- where people live uh, 100 years there's an or- inordinate amount of people that live 100 years plus and it used to be oh my gosh go to okinawa because they all eat fish but it's not all about fish it's about all kinds of different it's about, it's about socialization yeah. it's about gardening it's and or having a garden all it's it, the book is is tremendous but this is a tip that we got from him that we posted on a page that got a, a great reaction uh, and I wanted to get your reaction on this too. He, um, Doctor uh, Dan Butner recommends creating a pride sh- shrine in your house. He calls it a pride shrine. You walk by it every day. So this pride shrine is comprised of things that remind you of where you came from and how your family is connected. So maybe it has a picture of your dad in uniform from the Korean War, a seashell you found on your last family vacation, a paw print from your beloved dog who passed away. Uh, Butner says the happiest cultures in the world 
feel a connection to their ancestors and their own personal history or the thousands of rocks that your girls oh, make. Yeah, they, <laughs> my girls go out in the front yard where there's like, you know, some little rock area. And uh, by the way, you know, I had to pay for those rocks because it's part of the landscaping <laughs> and they pick them up like they found these prized possessions. And, uh, you know, because I care about my kids, I got to act like I'm all excited about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. thanks for this rock that I already bought. I, I actually see, you know, having been in the bathrooms in your house and having been, mm-hmm. I you, you sort of just uh, naturally create pride shrines. Uh, yeah, it's totally some, me. Some of, it not, has, some of it has scripture in there. It's not my wife. It's not, <laughs> no, it's your wife. It, she, she puts the stuff, it's pictures of family. It's great. But she actually puts some of my bigger accomplishments right by my bed. So I actually have this. So I have, I have the uh, Emmy nomination certificate for, for the television show. I've got the medals from my, from my marathons. But they're right by my side of the bed in a place of the house that nobody ever sees. Uh-huh. So yeah. I, I, what bums me out about that is I can't humble brag when people come over. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I have this. Oh, I have the that's pride nothing. Shrine. What I really want is for it to be out there and for me to be to get to pretend to be embarrassed when people notice it. And so when you know, oh, oh, wow, is that your uh, you were you were nominated for an Emmy? Oh, oh, who put that there? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess so. I, I want to be able to do that, but my wife makes it so personal. And now it's just, I'm the only one that gets to see it. I know I ran a marathon. <laughs> I don't need to see my medal. I want other people to be impressed by my accomplishments. Online at intelligenceforyourlife.com. So this next piece, uh, I'm sure you're going to have a, a reaction to this too, Gib, because um, you have two kids that are that are, uh, are are staying in the same room, same bedroom. Mm-hmm. I, I had my own bedroom. Both uh, both my sisters stayed in the same room. Uh, but t- uh, these days, most kids. They don't have to share a bedroom with a with a sibling. It's a it's a big trend because the houses are just bigger. They're just more, you know. It, it was a thing back in nineteen fifties and sixties where we all sort of doubled up or even tripled up in Connie's case. Uh, but some psychologists say no matter how big your house is, nineteen fifties. I I have this in my house. I, my kids don't have their own yeah, room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but uh, some psychologists say no matter how big your house is, kids should share a room. Now, if you ever shared a room. Uh, or if your kids are sharing a room, that you, you want to hear this. So clinical psychologist James Christ wrote the book, Siblings, You're Stuck With Each Other. That has to be a good book. <laughs> he, he says he has discovered that anxious kids do better when they share a room, and the nightly chats when lights go out, uh, during those chats, kids bond. And clinical psychologist Laura Markman says sharing a room teaches kids to be better negotiators, how to compromise, and work through conflict. So what is your what is your experience on this? Well, first of all, look, eventually, if, if your kid's going to go to college or if they don't go to college, they're going to have a roommate. And uh, yeah. you can always, I remember, I could always tell uh-huh. who was the only child when I was in college. You could just always tell based on the kinds of things that would really bother them. The way that like, oh, don't, you can't move that thing. And by the way, I have my own, I know I have my own proclivities. I know I have my own things that annoy me, but you could always spot it. And there is the, always the more laid back and people that, that did better were the people who had had a lot of siblings and yeah, were able to yeah, navigate yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that really well. But I, I do agree, though, as a, as a parent, I love that my girls, my, my girls share a room. They actually share bunk beds at this point. And my favorite thing, I mean, literally, if you don't have kids sharing a room or at least if they have their own room, they're not doing sleepovers in each other's rooms every night. You're missing out on some of the greatest conversations <laughs> you ever heard. I have a I have a five year old daughter and a three year old daughter, or four and three right now, which one's about to be five. Um, and and the conversations they have after we put them to sleep and leave the room are better than any television show, better than this pod, better than any show, radio, podcast, anything you've ever heard. And and it, it, because they, it's just adorable the stuff that they decided. So, to talk so you about. hang out outside the room. They don't know you're there. No, I mean I just I just listen. I just I get I sneak up outside the room. 
And um, I, I, I just listened. To, they're supposed to be asleep, by the way. So they're kind of being quiet. And every once in a while, they get just a little <laughs> bit too loud. And they're, and, they in, ha- and they're in bunk beds. Yeah, they're in bunk beds. And they're, you know, they're trying to look up. And every once in a while, I catch one of them in the other one's bed. They're, they're running between up and down the ladder. It's horrible. It takes an hour and a half to put them to bed. But they, they say the funniest stuff. I mean, sometimes it's really dumb. Sometimes they just, uh, we'd have a, a no potty talk rule at our house. And so sometimes they just sit there and they just say the words they know they're not allowed to say. So they just, you know, dirty diaper. <laughs> Peepee. And then they, they crack themselves up for, for a solid 10 minutes just saying the words that they know we would get them in trouble for saying. Uh, and, and that to me, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Oh, gosh. Again, the clinical psychologists are saying, that uh, anxious kids do better when they share a room. Uh, with that, it, it, you just heard uh, Gib talk about the nightly ritual, which uh, James Christ also b- believes in. And, and this is powerful. Sharing a room teaches kids to be better negotiators, how to compromise and, and work through conflicts. I, I, I agree yeah. with you. I could always tell the only child, the only child oh, when, yeah. they come to, when they come to college. I just look at how my kids have to share toys right now and how I watch them come to the end of themselves on stuff all the time. And you know, if you have to share a desk space or if you have to share a, a television when you get to college, you will already have the skills to handle how to do that. Yeah. Or, or yeah. a refrigerator. Oh my gosh, sharing the mini fridge in the dorm room is such a huge deal. And, if you, and the people with siblings, it's, it's not a hard transition. It makes so much sense. Thank you, Gib. And thanks to all of you for joining us for today's Intelligence for Your Life podcast. That's all we've got for you today. Connie will spend more time with us next time. She's busy taking care of Gib's kids, also known as her grandkids. Remember, you can always reach us at intelligenceforyourlife.com. Or if you'd like the fun of interacting with us directly, all of us, me, Connie Selica, Gib Gerard, go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash John Tesh. We'll see you next time.